0: Working in the development sector does add a completely uh, humanitarian and uh, another dimension to your work. You, you It sounds cliche, but uh, you are going home at the end of the day, and you always know that you've made an impact. Hi
1: and welcome to the podcast Making an Impact. This is the podcast where all aspects of working in the global impact sector are discussed. My name is Helen Rask and I will be the host in this podcast. In this episode, we will meet Sandra Kukla, who is the reporting specialist at the Swedish Committee for Afghanistan in Kabul. Sandra will let us know how she moved from the private sector into the field of international development, how her work has had a positive impact on the Afghan children. And what it's like to live under a difficult security situation. So, let's get started. Today, I'm very happy and honored to have Sandra Kukla, who is the reporting specialist at the Swedish Committee for Afghanistan in Kabul. Sandra, welcome to the podcast, Making an Impact.
0: Thank you, Thank you so much, Helen. Thanks for inviting me to the podcast. Really appreciate it. I'm happy to have you. Thank you.
1: So, Sandra, first, I would like to know, as you're in Kabul, what's it like to live and work in Kabul?
0: (laughs) I uh, do get that question uh, quite frequently, especially what it's like to live uh, in Kabul. So um, how about we start with the work first? Um, It's it's so rewarding that uh, I've been here now in my third year working in Afghanistan, which is uh, for an uh, expat probably quite a long time. Um, And I really like it, otherwise uh, I probably would have left after one year and I've kept extending my stay um, twice now. Um, I'm working for the uh, Swedish Committee for Afghanistan, as you've mentioned, as a recording specialist and i'm very fortunate to be working with a very dedicated workforce here especially afghan workforce um, there's never a day when i dread coming to work um, probably i shouldn't say never rarely <laughs> there's really a day <laughs> and um, yeah knowing that everyone is in the in the same boat and working towards the same objectives and goals um, is quite motivating for each one of us here, expats and um, local staff alike. So um, knowing that you have an immediate impact on the lives of many, many Afghans, thousands of Afghans is um, not only rewarding, but um, definitely motivating. So um, yeah, I'm really enjoying my work here in Mm -hmm. Afghanistan and I do hope that it continues much longer. (laughs) Um, When it comes to living in Kabul, Um, I wish that uh, many internationals and hopefully many Swedes um, one day have the opportunity to come visit um, this country. I think it is one of the most beautiful countries in the world and uh, the people here, one of the most hospitable people, um, very kind, uh, very, very nice people. So I'd love to see more Swedes coming to Afghanistan in the future. Um, Yes, of course, the security situation is a concern and um, it does impact my life or expats life um, as well as, of course, the the Afghan uh, population. However, um, it is not as bleak as uh, the media often portrays. So um, overall, I'm, I'm really enjoying my time here in Afghanistan.
1: And what about the social life? I mean, can you go out in the city and have a <laughs> yes. nice... Yes,
0: <laughs> very good question. Well, first of all, it's probably it depends on your employer. So um, if you do work for a UN agency, uh, then uh, movement restrictions and security concerns are, of course, uh, greater. However, if you do work uh, for an NGO, such as the Swedish Committee or... Um, smaller scales, NGOs, your movements can be, let's say, a little bit more, uh, uh, less restricted. So um, it really depends on the employer. Um, With the Swedish committee, um, movement restrictions do vary, but they are in place. Um, I cannot easily go out and uh, meet friends for a coffee and uh, social gatherings with uh, expats or Afghans of course need to be planned and uh, um, at the same time have to be um, more coveted but um, it is possible and uh, social gatherings do happen but um, what we are used to back in Europe just going out for to eat some ice cream and uh, meet friends for um, a coffee latte <laughs> is probably um, it is not possible as of right now. No. So you do have your uh, security restrictions, yes.
1: Do you need a dress code when you're working in mm. Afghanistan?
0: That again, um, I think heavily depends on the employer. Um, my previous engagements with an NGO, British NGO actually here in Kabul, um, I was as an expert even required to un- to cover my hair. Um, here at uh, SEA, uh, it is not required. However, I do still wear a headscarf. Just <laughs> once you're used to it, um, at least speaking for myself, uh, it is not a big concern. And uh, yeah, I do want to keep the respect for my Afghan colleagues, of course.
1: And why why did you choose Afghanistan as your workplace?
0: <laughs> so. I did not specifically chose Afghanistan. Um, Prior to my engagements here, I was working mainly in East Asia, in China specifically. And um, after my uh, endeavors in East Asia were coming to an end, I was looking for new opportunities. So um, as you do, you uh, apply for new job alerts and they go to different portals just like yours <laughs> and uh, you seek out uh, numerous opportunities and um, I saw one job post as a head of communications and reporting at this British NGO and I just clicked the apply button and then uh, later on <laughs> I realized that the assignment would actually be placed in, in Kabul in Afghanistan so I thought okay well <laughs> I've come this far, um, might as well go. So that's why I ended up <laughs> here three years ago. And
1: reporting specialist, you say, hmm? uh, mm-hmm.
0: what do you actually do? <clears throat> Good question. So um, the biggest donor for Swedish Committee for Afghanistan is SIDA, the International Development Cooperation Agency. Um, and aside from Sila, we also have other donors such as Postcode Lottery, um, European Commission, and uh, many, many more. Um, to comply with their donor requirements, um, oftentimes it is uh, required to submit uh, reports: quarterly reports, financial reports, biannual reports, annual reports. Any time the word "report" is mentioned there's a good chance that my name is coming up so i am responsible for coordinating uh, these reports developing them and uh, providing overall technical support to um, the staff here in uh, cabo in the field and uh, at uh, the swedish based uh, office in stockholm
1: Does that mean uh, also traveling in the country and to go to Mm -hmm. the sites that you're responsible for?
0: Yeah, so this is actually um, a fantastic thing that uh, the Swedish committee encourages, um, especially expats to do, which I want to say sets them apart from other organizations in Afghanistan. So we are actively encouraged to, to visit the field, to see projects. Um, we do have five regional management offices and two liaison officers, and uh, we are always motivated to go into the field and uh, see our, for example, it's construction projects or um new schools that we have uh, launched and uh, to see our education endeavors and uh, our work with, uh, with the health uh, programs and disability programs. So we are actually um, always asked to, to go into the field and see the progress that we're making because of the aid that we are receiving. So yeah, I do um, go on quite a few field visits and um, it is always a very, a very humbling experience.
1: Can you explain a bit more?
0: Yeah, um, so we, the Swedish committee is uh, engaged mainly in four areas. Um, Construction, health, education, and the disability sector. And in all four sectors, we are um, trying to help our target groups, um, women, children, uh, persons with disabilities and rural communities. So um, for example, we are going to Wardak province, which is um, southeast, southwest of Kabul. <laughs> and um, there is a nomad community that um, those children in those nomad communities, they don't go to school because um, they are attending to their livestock, to farming, and uh, the overall focus is not so much placed on education. So um, SCA is trying to set up uh, schools, um, recruiting teachers to give those children the opportunity to go to school and pursue an education which then in turn um, empowers them and the community they live in uh, and are engaged in in the future to have more say um, in the decision-making process in their area, in their communities, in their districts and so on. So, um, yeah, it's a very exciting, very exciting project that SCA is in, engaged in. and. Um, I'm really happy to be part of it. Why
1: didn't you become an aid worker when you first started?
0: <laughs> good. Um, so uh, if you are looking at my CV, respectively, um, I want to say I've. you can throw me into uh, any, not any sector, but in many, many sectors and I would probably uh, learn quite fast and hopefully do a good job. <laughs> I've been in the private sector before, um, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, it has its perks. Um, however, when this opportunity came up three years ago for the NGO, um, it, it really was life-changing. Um, so I want to say that moving forward, I don't see myself going back. To the private sector, I would like to stay here in the development sector and uh, continue my work for the benefit of um, whichever community uh, it may be in the future.
1: Why uh, is that the main, your main focus at this point? Why not the private sector anymore? <laughs>
0: um, well, the development sector is—it does add another dimension to the work that you're doing. So my original background is in communications and journalism, very similar to yours probably. <laughs> um, and and it is an exciting field and I, I really enjoyed it. Um, however, working in the development sector does add a completely um, humanitarian and uh, another dimension to your work. You It sounds cliche, but um, you are going home at the end of the day and you always know that you've made an impact, which um, I don't want to say that it's not the case in the private sector. However, I do know that it is always the case um, in the work that we're doing here. So how
1: how did you get your first job in the development sector?
0: Oh, yeah, that is uh, really just three years ago with uh, the uh, British NGO that uh, happened to have um, many regional uh, offices across the Middle East and uh, in Asia, and one of them was in Kabul, and I was just assigned uh, to Afghanistan. So it might have well been uh, in Burma or in in Syria. Um, I am really glad (laughs) it happened. Uh, it was Afghanistan now, so uh, I'm really happy about that. But um, it could have been anywhere.
1: You've been talking a bit a bit about it, but uh, what would you say is the most rewarding thing about your job?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, the most rewarding right now is the close interactions I have with uh, my coworkers, and by extension, extension uh, with uh, our target groups. So knowing that the aid that we have uh, secured and the aid that I'm essentially reporting on uh, benefits rural communities, children, children with disabilities and women, um, that is probably the most rewarding about my job. The, the daily interactions with uh, the Afghan population is uh, incredible. And uh, I always go home at the end of the day and I'm very thankful for having them in my life and vice versa, I hope.
1: <laughs> do you have an example of what was your best day at work? Yes,
0: um, probably, the, I had one very good day and I, I do want to think it was my best day so far. Um, it, was, it happened last autumn, 2018, so a few months ago. I went uh, on a field trip with a few coworkers to Northern Afghanistan. To a province called Tacha, and uh, for four hours we were driving along this mountain pass, and it felt like we were going to the end of the world. <laughs> and uh, every once in a while we reached those remote villages, um, and I often thought this is the first time they see uh, a, a woman, a foreign woman, in their in their entire lives. And uh, now we're there in those villages, and um, out of nowhere these, these schools, these fully equipped schools were um, erected, and uh, those schools were shining in bright Swedish colors, blue and yellow, <laughs> a stark contrast to the environment. And um, so when, whenever we reached those schools, um, the, the, the village elders, they would tell us, uh, that many boys and girls can go to school now because of SCA. And uh, not only that, but we can even cater to children with uh, mental and physical disabilities. We even have teachers who can teach uh, braille or sign language and can put them later on mainstream them into uh, the public school system, which otherwise would be absolutely impossible. So seeing those schools uh, being built in the middle of nowhere and uh, um, seeing those elders come up to you and really thanking you from their heart for the work that the Swedish committee is uh, doing, that's, uh, yeah, that was, that definitely was probably the, yeah, it was probably the most uh, rewarding and the the most fun day I had uh, while working here. Um.
1: About challenges, what do you yeah. face, uh, you know, as challenges yeah. in your daily work?
0: Mm. So, well, I, I've, I've mentioned the security restrictions before, and I, I do think, uh, especially for an ex that those are the sacrifices you have to make. Um, as I said before, you can't just go out for a coffee, right? Or go for a run if you're physically really active and you want to be in the, in the outdoors. Um, it, is, it can be very challenging. On the other hand, what's even more uh, challenging is probably the, the destitute living conditions that you see on a daily basis. Um, of course, it is motivating you at the same time um, to go to work and do your job, to somehow alleviate um, living conditions for, for many. Um, but at the same time, it can also make you quite pensive about the about the conditions that the, the normal Afghan population have to endure on a daily basis, um, which you get to see. So um, I think those two aspects are the most challenging, at least for me, security and the destitute living situations, yeah.
1: Are you ever afraid?
0: No. No. I do have a lot of faith <laughs> in our in our security unit (laughs) so they're doing a fantastic job um sea is taking good care of uh, all of its uh, expats so no i'm not afraid or scared and i do believe the moment that you are um, it is probably time to think about um, if this is the right if this is the right environment for you respect Yes, but um, you can't be afraid. No. And so far, I'm lucky; <laughs> I haven't been afraid yet.
1: What do you think is the most needed skill uh, to be mm. able to perform your kind of uh, job?
0: Mm. Well, I think it does. It does definitely help to have a good formal education if you want to pursue your bachelor's and even better your master's in international relations international development and uh, these areas of expertise i think that's a great asset to especially to land a job within the un divisions Um, however i believe it's even more important to bring a good set of uh, soft skills with you Um, if you are able to really immerse yourself into different cultures and um, If you are able to um, follow a job that is not nine to five and a lifestyle that can be challenging because of the security restrictions and the living conditions, um, then then this is definitely for you. However, um, it's not for everyone. And uh, that's why I think, uh, you know, you cultural competency and international competency, and your ability to adapt to different cultures is um, probably a skill set that you definitely need to uh, really flourish in this kind of work.
1: Your educational background, you said a bit about (laughs) that it was journalism and and communication.
0: Yes, yes. Um, So as my accent indicates, I'm a native German. Uh, but I was uh, fortunate enough to pursue my higher education in the U.S. right after high school. And um, I majored, as you uh, rightfully mentioned, in uh, mass communications and journalism. And uh, yeah, then after graduating, I went to East Asia for a few years and uh, worked in China, Taiwan and Singapore. And then all of a sudden, I found myself in Central Asia, yeah.
1: <laughs> so you're still actually doing journalism and communication as a reporting specialist?
0: So um, it, actually, this uh, post here at Swedish Committee is the first job that kind of moves me away from uh, direct communications. Um, my post before was Head of Communications and Reporting, which uh, oversaw both fields. however now at the swedish committee it is uh, solely reporting um, i still find the skills that i have required in my previous assignments in communications very useful uh, to be able to fulfill this line of work However, moving forward um, into the future, um, I'm probably going to focus more on uh, grants management and reporting. So I'm slowly moving away from communications. It was a fun ride. I really enjoyed it. Um, however, I do want to move more to grants management, I believe, in the future.
1: What What uh, is your recommendations mm-hmm. to others who want to have a similar career path as you have had so far. Mm.
0: The advice I would give is to not be afraid. If you are doubting uh, yourself um, to accept any out of the ordinary job or an international assignment, if you have slight doubts, I'm not saying you should take you should take any risk but don't be afraid um everyone there are people who've done it before you and people will do it after you and you can be one of them you can you can accomplish what you have in mind it's not as difficult as many um, make it out to be however it does take commitment of course and uh, a strong will but yeah don't be afraid and uh, if a promising opportunity arises and you uh, you're really up for making a change, then I think you should go for it. And um, if you have the opportunity leading up to a work assignment in the development sector um, in the form of internships or volunteering or a study in language exchanges, I think um, those are great ways to really equip yourself with a good job in the development sector.
1: Uh, or is there any differences for you as a woman working in Afghanistan compared <laughs> to men? I think I need to ask the question
0: yeah yeah no, that was a, a very fair question um, yes, there is a difference, and explaining that difference to especially outsiders who haven't worked in Afghanistan is very difficult um, I'm so far, I failed uh, explaining it to friends and family, home. <laughs>
1: Give it a try to us.
0: Um, it is It is very, it, the perceptions sometimes can be, oh, no, I have to be <laughs> diplomatic about it. <laughs> Let me think about it. There can be times uh, when you do feel that the, uh, when you're an expert woman, you are being treated more favorably than an afghan woman so you already do know a difference there you experience a difference there in the workforce that does happen and there is a difference between expat women and um, expert men even um, in afghanistan in our interactions with uh, the afghan staff Um, i do remember that. Uh, When I first started here, (laughs) I'm a very bubbly person (laughs) and I like to, I like to shake hands and uh, greet and just be my communicative self, um, which can be met with some uh, reservation on behalf of the, on behalf of Afghan men, which uh, is something that I definitely had to get used to. Um, But then again, that is part of the, the culture and uh, you have to get used to it. And um, I am not saying that either one side is better than the other. It is just very, it can be very different how men and women interact with each other. So.
1: So thank you, Sandra. uh,
0: You're very welcome.
1: For having participated in the podcast today. I hope you enjoyed this interview and that you got useful information. If you would like to know more or if you would like to look for a job with the Swedish Committee for Afghanistan, please check out our webpage page www.impactpool.org. Bye for now and see you in the next episode.